0: Having a great afternoon while I'm waiting for him to come on. I had a productive day, had to, uh, of course, make the donuts, but I'm grateful that I am here and I am in the land of the living. Also, before he comes on Again, my show is keeping it real, conversations with me, myself, Sunshine. I go on to say that I believe in six degrees of separation and it has been happening since the show has started. Um, The connections that are being made um, and the connections have been made. um, uh, He's on. He's on. Also, I let you guys know how I know the person that's coming on. So hopefully, I see him being connected. Hopefully, we can get the audio and um, his video. Larry, can you hear me? Can you hear me? I can't hear you.
1: Can you hear me now?
0: I can hear you now. Okay. But I can't see you.
1: No, here I am.
0: <laughs> there you are. Hello. Oh,
1: it's, it's taken a while for us to do this.
0: Well, we're here now.
1: It's good to see you.
0: Good to see you. So I was telling the people, I believe in six degrees of separation, and it is a true concept. And also, I let the people know how I know the person that I'm interviewing or I'm having a conversation with. Okay. So you guys, this is my cousin, my blood, Larry Johnson. And I must tell you, while I have everyone's audience, that I have admired you from afar. I don't know if you knew this but you were one of the people um, that uh, you command the room even though you're not asking for attention it's like you're you're the the smart guy in the room and he's like what does he have to say I want to know what he has to say
1: well thank you I'm humbled
0: and I have of course you're much older than me so I had to um every time the family would get together and you were there, you always was having a nice conversation about things in the world, um, things that was going on in the family, um, all sorts of um of information. <laughs> so I found out from a little birdie that you were, is it true, ex military?
1: Yes, I am, I spent 20 plus years in the army. Hmm. I retired in 1992, come to think of it. It's been a while, but yeah, I I spent 20 plus years in the army. Um, I was primarily what we call an intelligence officer most of that time. And I graduated from a military college as well. Wow.
0: So like, is it West Point, something
1: like that? I went to, uh, at that time, there were four private military colleges, uh, private slash state and uh, schools like Virginia Military Institute in Virginia, uh, North Georgia. Uh, Let me see, Uh, there there are a few others in my school, Pennsylvania Military College. So I'm a 1971 graduate of Pennsylvania Military College.
0: So how, how does something like that happen? Is that, did the military come for you or this is something you always wanted to do?
1: Well, as uh, your brothers can tell you, your older brother, <laughs> I had always wanted to be in the military ever since I was a little kid. And as your uncle Aswa Issa, you know, your brother Aswa always says that whenever we got together, I was always carrying a swagger sti- stick and pretending to be the officer in charge. And so uh, I was in junior ROTC in high school and I was one of the first four year ROTC recipients, uh, scholarship recipients for the state of Michigan uh, in 1967. And so I I received a four year scholarship uh, and I selected Pennsylvania Military College as to the college that i wanted to go to
0: wow so for all those who don't understand what he just said so he always as even a kid that he always wanted to go into the military not only that but he was in intelligence so a little birdie also told me you worked in the pentagon uh
1: yeah i did have a tour uh, in the Pentagon and the greater Washington DC area uh, doing stuff that I can't tell you about. Of course. <laughs> so, so yeah, I, I did, I had several t- tours uh, in the greater Washington DC area. And so most of that time I was in Washington. Uh, I, 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 you know, I was in the intelligence business And uh, sometimes because uh, at that time, the the army forced you to have multiple specialties. Okay. So one of my other specialties was acquisition management. And acquisition management is a fancy term for dealing with project management. So I also worked uh, in that field while having several tours in the great Washington DC area. Wow.
0: Yes, I, you were, you came highly recommended to me <laughs> to, uh, you need to talk to your cousin. And as I said before, as a young person growing up in the Johnson clan, and I must say I have to toot the horn for my family, um we have a lot of professionals in our family um from teachers on down to um preachers to intelligence like my cousin um nurses doctors we have it it's in our family um i sat there a couple of times and i'm like this man is super smart And I sat there and I wanted to know more and more about just life in general from you, from my elders in my family. Again, um, like I said, I believe you're older than my mother, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yes, I am. In fact, uh, when, we were, in, when, when we, we were young adults, mm-hmm. your mother always wanted to go with us and she was pesty. And so we'd always shoo her away. I think we were in high school and she always wanted, and I think uh, uh, Aswad, uh, he had his first car. Okay. So she didn't understand why we wouldn't take her along with us. And so, (laughs) but you know, your mother's dear to me.
0: Yes, so for all those who do not understand, my mom is the baby of
1: twelve, yes. yeah, something like that.
0: um, and so, of course, as you say, the, the pesty one, Yes, she, she they were a lot older than my mom, so as you can say, um she she's definitely um she matter of fact, she recommended um me to you guys to be your son's babysitters.
1: oh, yeah, okay. And so
0: <laughs> yeah when the Connie and them was really really small yeah um i came over a couple of times to you know babysit and i actually got to see you and your wife um ife in action so um a lot of things that i you might think no one's paying attention and that's another thing that i love um when you least expect that you wouldn't even have no idea how a person actually feels and perceive you and i want to uh give you and pin you with your flowers while you're yet living to um understand even from afar i have admired you because you're fun but you're smart as well um and even when your son uh not what's the one the oldest one oh come on he i was living in alabama and he was on his way somewhere else and he ended up staying with me over the weekend yes and it's just a a good thing that it's still a village we still need one another yes and um i'm i'm excited that you even took the call to say hey because i got you whenever you need me i can't do it on saturday but whatever (laughs) time i can get you we can have this conversation right Um, I feel that it's very important that our elders, um, give back to us, you know, middle-class, you know, whatever, you know, middle age, and our younger ones, um, the information you guys know, you guys, um, at your time, you were, um, during civil rights and all that stuff,
1: correct? Yes. Um, I, uh, I, I guess you'd say, say so. Um, uh, I'm a graduate of Southeastern high school in the city of Detroit. And I remember, uh, we had, uh, our first walkout when I was a okay. student there. And the issue was over, uh, our, our, our nickname, I guess we were the jungle leaders. And so people wanted, you know, thought that that was inherently racist calling us jungle leaders. And there's there's a history behind how the school got that name. Uh, at the particular time that uh, Southeastern was built in 1917. Uh, the city of Detroit really uh, wasn't as populated. Mm-hmm. And Southeastern High School is located I guess on Fairview Street. And so it really wasn't a lot of housing uh, in the area. And it was just simply surrounded by a lot of trees. And so during some athletic event, some reporter from the Free Press came out and coined the term, you know, they were in the jungle and Uh he coined that phrase. And so by the time I was in high school in the 1960s, Uh, I came to Southeastern in 1963, and I graduated in January of 1967. And so during that time period, uh, as the demographics changed in the area, uh, and there were more and more people of color in the area. Uh, This was before Finney High School was built. Uh, But anyway, the demographics changed after they built. High School. And so the long and short of it was that uh, there were some of my classmates specifically being led by Ed, Ed Rickman, who lives in Rhode Island, and he was a an assembly person in Rhode Island. Uh, and so but anyway, and, and as a high schooler, uh, he and a group of other students really took exception to being called leaders, And so, uh, so the, the school administration, I'm not sure if they took them serious, but anyway, he decided to have a walkout. So anyway, so that was, so civil rights and the whole discussion around issues of race and equity was always at the forefront of the discussions. Uh, Martin Luther King had a huge march uh, here in the city of Detroit uh, issues of police brutality was always at the forefront. This was before uh, Colman Young was elected. Okay. And so there was always this tension and that still persists today. And wow. so uh, the school that I went to, uh, Pennsylvania Military uh, College, uh, I was only one of seven young men of color in my entire class.
0: Wait, 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 time out. Did you say one of seven Correct. school? Yes. Wow. So how did that make you feel?
1: Uh, we uh, were a very talented group of seven. And so uh, we were very, very race conscious, uh, but we had no option. Uh, we were uh, bullied, abused, et cetera. Uh, and uh, some days it was just very physical, uh, but we, uh, uh, how can I say this, uh, we were always uh, not violent but, <laughs> but, but we always knew who we were
0: Okay.
1: in that process. Mm-hmm. And so uh, we were adamant uh, that our rights would not be trampled on. And we were willing to do, like Malcolm X said, we'll do uh, whatever's necessary to ensure that our rights were not trampled on. And so we gained the respect of, of, of our classmates and so forth uh, because we would not be bullied, we would not be turned around, we would not be abused.
0: Wow. So do, do you, um, to this day, if they're still alive, are you still in touch with them?
1: Yes, yes I am. Uh, I have one of my classmates who lives in Taiwan and, uh, and so he and I, in fact, we just finished communicating. And then I have a, another classmate who lives in Texas, and he and I communicate all the time.
0: Wow, that's amazing. And I had, listen, people, if you don't ask questions, you will not to get this information. I had no clue, no idea that this even happened to you and that, you are a part of history as we, you know, as we know it, um, even being uh, with Southeastern. I didn't know that um, being one of seven at your school in military. I had no idea. Um, I, like I said, it's a privilege to sit here and listen to history being told to me just by asking a simple question. And then you answer and it's like, okay, ask this question. Oh, ask this question. Cause now I I had no idea that this even happened to
1: you. Oh yeah, uh, we uh, I think the lesson that we learned was you have to know who you are, and I was just very fortunate to be with a group of uh, young men who were really solid about uh, who they who who they were are as men, and their self esteem. uh, And we decided to be proactive in our own protection. And so we learned that you can't back down. Uh, I'll negotiate with you. But I will not negotiate from a place of weakness with you. Okay, as Martin Luther King said, it's not just simply knowing what you're fighting for but you really do have to understand what you, what you are really willing to die for. And each of my classmates had that attitude. We were really kind of no nonsense, but we strove for academic excellence. Uh, we weren't trying to be separated, but you know, our, our credo was that you weren't going to denigrate us either because uh, all of us had history family history uh, connected with fighting for this country, that uh, some of us all the way way back to the Civil War. Uh, On our side of the family, uh, uh, your grandfather uh, and your granduncles all participated in uh, World War II. Uh, on On my wife's side of the family, uh that goes all the way back to the civil war wow I and didn't so know that. so we have always been part and parcel of the development as well as fighting for freedom in this country and so all of my classmates have that attitude and so we we were just always aggressive in protecting ourselves and asserting our rights and to include the uh, we had an opportunity to uh, doing one of our, uh, we used to have a spring concert kind of thing. And so uh, we also learned that when you are in a position of power to use it uh, for the sake of your folks. So I was on the committee for the spring dance and so forth and homecoming events. And so our orchestrated that we would have Dick Gregory, come in to be one of our speakers. Wow. And so we had a private meeting with Dick Gregory and we forced them to have Martha and the Vandellas. And so so we had a chance to meet them. But all this to say that, uh, again, the lesson is, know who you are and be willing to stand up for that because only you can do that. And it's okay to have allies, but you work with issues of equity and solidarity. So that's my lesson learned.
0: Wow. See, again, I'm excited. I am beyond, you have no idea. I'm so excited just to hear this history. Like if I would have never had this opportunity to sit here and talk to you, I would have never known that. I would have never known that you met Dick Gregory or Martha and the Vandellas or, any of those things of part of being of civil rights um some of the things that i thought not that i never believed that these things ever happen um you read it in books yeah see it on the movies you hear some people in their testimonies like yourself and you like okay you know what would you have done if that was you what would, what would you, you know, would you be a part of the Black Panthers? Would you be a part of, you know, things that's making changes, whether it's violence or nonviolent? And I could never answer the question. Like, I'm all like, you know, I don't do politics. I don't, you know, but at the same time, it's a cause for somebody to be a leader somewhere. Somebody has to do it. Somebody right. has to do it. Right. And so I wanted also to ask you um, with being part of the military and, um, being married for how long have you guys been married now?
1: Oh, gee was Uh, thir- almost 31 years.
0: Okay. Um, how did you feel about the things that have expired or, um, transpired on the national grounds? Like the whole Trump administration, the things that history has constantly been, um Rewritten because I have even my time. I have never heard of some of the things or seen some of the things that I have witnessed In this um, these last couple of years. What what is your opinion?
1: Well, it's absolutely undemocratic But it may not necessarily be un-american
0: mm.
1: and what I mean by that is that when we look at our Ideals with respect to uh, all men are created equal, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. That's aspirational. Uh, our so called founding fathers had an aspirational vision, but you've probably heard this commented on by the punditry uh, on TV, uh, the pundits on TV. Uh, they all had slaves, and voting was only for the landed white gentry. And so that's what I meant by the ideal uh, that the insurrectionist, the insurrection that we saw on January 6th within the fabric of American history is very much American because uh. oligarchy, uh, those people are wealthy elite, have always had a divide and conquer with respect to poor whites, uh, enslaved people, native people, uh, that's always been their hallmark. And violence has always been a tool in order to assert their power uh, and to keep folks divided. So that's what I meant, that it was very much within the American American mode uh, that we saw on January the 6th. But in saying that, it reminds us that as you've probably heard that uh, the whole issue of democracy is uh, requires work and requires a vigilant uh, populace, a well-informed populace and a, a populace that participates in its governance. It is not automatic. And one of the things that I used to tell well, once upon a time, I guess I taught an American history class for uh, University of Mer- uh, Maryland, that uh, the whole notion of a representative government, uh, it's, it takes a balance. It's like a pendulum. It can swing to the left, mm-hmm. swing to the right. The thing that keeps it steady is the participation of, its, of an informed citizenry. Uh, concerning those ideals, and you can't be lazy in order to maintain a democratic uh, government.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: so, uh, uh, the American population became very complacent, became very lazy. Uh, white uh, uh, supremacy, or I like to say, the whole notion of the uh, su- uh, the whole notion of the superiority of whites uh, is a construct. Is a political construct that goes back even before this country was formed. Those things were being discussed when the first Portuguese sailed into Africa and uh, in capturing uh, uh, our ancestors. So it's been a discussion. So, but anyway, so you can't be lazy in order to maintain a democracy.
0: So, in your opinion, do you ever feel like, or do you think that we would ever get back to a place where we had a uh, Malcolm X, we had a Martin Luther King, we had all those who, like you said before, who had um, a platform to actually speak out? I don't well, mean I, like a re- religious, you know, type of situation. I, think, I mean an actual civil rights leader. Like, well,
1: I think it's not so much a focal point that's required. I don't think, I mean, we may have a person that has center stage, but what I am well pleased about is that we have a generation of, from my viewpoint, young people coming up who are lit, who really understand it, and they're doing lots of things within their respective communities, and they do have national platforms. Uh, there's no single uh, focal point like a Martin Luther King or Mount X, but no matter where you go uh, in this country, you have individuals standing up for indigenous rights. You have people standing up and really dealing with the construct of colorism within our Latinx community. Uh, you know, you, you have lots of voices as opposed to a single voice. Uh, and so I'm well pleased about that, and thus I can say I am hopeful. Wow. Um,
0: in my, let me see, one of your sons went into the military, correct, or no?
1: Yes, my eldest son is in the Marine Corps. Okay. And he's soon to be a captain in the Marine Corps. And in fact, as we speak, he'll be on his way to uh, California, to the San Diego area, leaving Hawaii. And so, wow. so that's where he is, you know, as we speak. So he's the logistics officer, and uh, I guess yeah, he he'll be promoted to captain within the next several months. And my youngest is here in the city, of Detroit, and he's involved in healthcare. He's okay. the uh, deputy director of a nonprofit dealing with issues of health equity uh, and uh, health prevention.
0: Now, I will say this on the flip side, too. It was very important, and I have to give you kudos again for being um, a strong black man in your household. (laughs) Um, You were very, uh, very structured, but you allowed your um, young men to make their own decisions and again (laughs) you have no idea i have been watching you literally i have been watching you for years and so again i have to give you um kudos to you um i remember your sons going to uh karate
1: yes yes they were in karate
0: so in that you know is discipline there um and even when we talked as um growing up um intelligence exuded from them like you put the time in and that's what i want to say to you you put the time in in your parenting you put your time in even with your wife and it shows i've never seen her um as sad or anything it was like is she human like <laughs> what yes, is
1: <laughs> We have our moments, but like <laughs> any couple, but it takes work. Yes. It takes work. And uh, one of the things that we used to talk about, and that's the other thing, communication is key. And it's not a cliche. Uh, you have to communicate. You have to learn to fight fair. You have to be able to see your partner and realize that uh, that you love each other. But my job is not necessarily, and this, uh, I guess I have to explain this. I'm not the center of her world. Uh, We are individuals, we're two individuals made in the image of God coming uh, together to form uh, a, a, a covenant bond with each other. And so that's always been our approach. And so we always communicate to include uh, communicating, uh, I'm mad at you today. And I need some space. I'll talk to you later. And then to have enough respect to my partner's feelings and vice versa to say, Okay, uh, she's mad at me today. <laughs> I need to give her some space. Mm-hmm. But then coming back and uh, talking it out to, in- to include uh, agreeing not to agree, but then, as we are fondly said, there was never any doubt that in in the conflict, she never had doubt that I would walk out the door and not come back. That's not even there. Wow! So that that's
0: was- deep right there. Just that part right there, because a, a lot of people again, the knowledge that has been pa- has to be passed on is no if, ands, buts about it. Um, our elders have to teach.
1: I agree, I agree. And we haven't really done that well enough. Uh, I just remember being in Kenya and uh, I remember uh, the people in the family to ins- include the extended family would come together uh, and especially on Sunday, they would go, in this case, they'd go visit their mother in a next village. And all of her sons, the uncles, the nieces and the nephews, they'd all gather for Sunday dinner. Dinner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what we used to do, but <clears throat> this was a little bit more extensive. And they would all sit around and they would talk about uh, all of the things that were, that were that were happening but also uh, recount the family history. And so uh, to include naming conventions, uh, I discovered that there were people who could trace uh, not so much their lineage, uh, but the the family's migration uh, through the naming convention. Could go back and go back 500 years because you were named after your your first uncle once removed, you know, your first cousin once removed. Right? And so the diaspora and the uh, techniques in American slavery took all of that away from us, but there's nothing to preclude us re-ins- reinstilling those kinds of conventions where we will pass on the lessons learned of just living, and surviving, and thriving—we haven't done done that, and so we don't have to wait for someone else to tell us how to go do that. Right. We know how to go do that.
0: Well, I know for myself, um, with our family, it we went a whole gap um, without having a family reunion. Um, we have people, I'm like, you had a last name. I don't know if we're cousins or not. I have no idea. There are cousins that are my age that have um children now and I have never met them. That's and correct. um so a lot of you know, flordale Johnson, r- my my grandmother, um uh, Virginia, all of those ones are gone and outside of You know my older cousins like you my mom and her siblings if they don't say anything i have no idea i don't know and um and that's almost common in all families these days of you know once the grandma gone that's it no one knows or they, they stop getting together um we need our family structure back because Um, now that society has it, or it's been like this where, you know, it takes two incomes to, you know, get your family together. Um, you need a village to help raise your children. You're not out here by yourself. I remember growing up on my um, block on Chelsea, shout out to them. Um, there was always somebody having eyes on us. It wasn't just your child or your house. We took care of everybody on our block. If you didn't have, it was no thing to go next door. Um, mom can, my mom asked, can she have a cup of uh, soap powder or some sugar or something so we can get to the store? Everybody shared. Everybody um, was in the one goal of everybody. If your kids um, graduated, everybody was a part of it. Um, and I was so happy that my husband now, Johnny Foster, was my uh yes um my husband was my neighbor he lived two houses over from me so i know him for forever and we were looking for a venue to get married last year mm-hmm. and with the pandemic the courts was closed all of this crazy stuff and it was frustrating until one day we was like well your mom backyard is big enough let's <laughs> go back So we end up going back to where we started yes, and got married. So everybody on my block was uh, at the wedding where it all began. And so I had some family members, of course, because of COVID, we couldn't have it as big as I wanted it to, but it was just the fact that my village where it began was there to see us get married. And so I I wish for above all things that people will get back to the structure of family and a village, because we need it. Well,
1: them. from a historical perspective, I want you to know, you know, with, with your grandmother, my Aunt Flora, we always did that. We always, we were always together. We all played together. Most of us went to the, actually the same school because we all lived Uh, we all live really close to each other. And at one point in time, uh, we actually, most of us lived in the same house. Wow. Uh, after World War II, uh, there was an extreme housing shortage. And so, uh, uh, Uncle Roscoe, uh, I guess that would be your grandfather, uh, we, uh, we all lived in the same house. We had a house on, in the old Black Bottom on Joseph Campbell uh, near MacDougall. And uh, we, uh, it was a huge house and all of the families uh, lived together, not not your grandmother, uh, they were on Meldrum. So it really wasn't very far from us, but we were all physically together. And then when uh, there were some semblance of desegregation of housing Uh, we all still moved on the east side of detroit and we were all still physically together which is another which is another story about the the so-called housing discrimination and redlining you know and that sort of stuff but we all ended up still being certainly within a half mile of each other and we all thus we all ended up going to the same schools uh, at one point in time, uh your Uncle Esau and, and I, uh and two or three other cousins, we were all in middle school together, we we're in high school together. And so uh, and then we all went to the same one or two churches together. Mm-hmm. So we were we were always together. We had the Sunday dinners or we had the big parties and that sort of stuff. So when this COVID, uh comes to some semblance of an end, and we're probably looking all the way to the fall, if not a little later, uh, we can rededicate ourselves to just simply getting together. It doesn't have to be anything particularly formal because a lot of the times the families got together, it was just, it was impromptu. Let's go right, have a picnic and fell out. I mean, it really wasn't all that elaborate. Uh, right. And so we, we did those kinds of things when we were growing up. Uh, and in fact, uh, sometimes I said, I didn't want any brothers or sisters because my cousins were always. Uh-huh.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: And so but uh, we don't have to wait. We can do family Zoom calls like we did with Trinita.
0: I was just about and to say that, just yeah, like we, you did with her.
1: Yeah, so so we don't have to wait. And no one has to be the leader. You can just simply say, OK, today, I'm going to have a Zoom call. It doesn't have to be everyone. Right. Uh, it could be a family. I know families who do a at least a monthly or biweekly check in. OK, is, see how everyone's doing. Do you need anything? Uh, etc. So we don't have to wait. and doesn't have to be so structured.
0: That's a good idea, because um, for those who don't know, my aunt um, suffered a stroke. Yes. Um, and she has been in a facility um going on, I believe three years now.
1: Yeah, something like that. Yes.
0: And um so we her daughter, Trinita, who lives in California, we wasn't able to go visit her because of COVID and things of that nature. And of course, you know, a lot of people don't know when it comes to health, sometimes the human touch, the human physical um helps you to you know rehabilitate yourself feel like you have another reason to live and so she said it would be a good idea for her birthday um that we all get on the zoom call and wish her happy birthday everybody say something personally take a time out everybody and it was so many of my family members that i have not seen in a long time that was on the zoom call and it just touched me so much that she was able to you know in her own way, uh, tell us thank yous, you know, see one one by one. We don't know exactly what that did for her, but you know, and my auntie uh Lamore is um she turned how old did she turn?
1: Uh, she's, I think she's 74 now.
0: <clears throat> so she's one of the um elder sisters of my mom. So for us to actually see her on the Zoom and not being able to see her. Um, because she lives in california was a great idea and so i know you said you had to get off at 3 15. yes i
1: do i'm sorry um
0: but it's close to the time but i hope you guys enjoy us um reminiscing in, in the little um history that you got today for free and um like i said i appreciate you i love you Tell your wife, I said, hello, my auntie, my cousin, rather. And um, Sakani, um, again, soon we'll get together, if it, if like your idea, if it has to be on a Zoom call or just checking in on Messenger, I'm always on Facebook. Um, and we can just um, connect and get this history um, either written down or something, because again, um, our elders are not gonna be here forever.
1: No. and i
0: don't want my history to go down to the grave amen and lots uh, of history i told you my family is very um professionals i mean go-getters leaders um and like again if they could tell me without having to uh, bump my head against the wall please tell me
1: uh the other thing you know i'd like to leave you with uh, a single word it's about resilience and so resilience doesn't necessarily mean not failing. It doesn't necessarily mean that you don't get help, but resilience means that you get back up. And so if nothing else, you get back up. And uh, we, our family, representative of the African-American experience in diaspora, uh, we've had uh, family members who got back up and sometimes you bring two or three other folks with you, okay? Everyone doesn't have the same level of strength. Everyone doesn't believe in the same God. But it's about being able to reach back and bring somebody else up and being resilient. Uh, And so that's what I'd like to leave you with, that we've always dealt with harsh, harsh and hard times. We are survivors. And so we've got to learn how to how to continue to thrive in the midst of diversity. So I'd like to leave you with that.
0: Well, I appreciate it. Again, for those who are on, please like and share the video. Again, if you are on YouTube, again, it's um, Keeping It Real, Conversations with Sunshine, please subscribe. And my cousin, dear old cousin Larry, thank you so much again. Right. I appreciate Love you me. taking the time out to be with me.
1: Okay, all right. Bye-bye.
0: Bye. Bye.